Hello, patrons, and welcome to the much-delayed but finally coming at you patron special for August 2018. We uh, uh, profusely apologize for the lateness of this. Uh, we had various things going on in our lives that unfortunately meant that uh, this had to be delayed quite a bit. Well, and, really what um, happened... actually the... F- sorry, sorry. Sorry? Well, really what happened is that we had to read the book twice to get, you know, all the details in, so it took a long time. <laughs> Uh, Yes, we will be getting uh, to our topic in just a moment, Uh, but I did want to let all of you know that uh, we should theoretically be back on a regular schedule now, so uh, you'll be hearing this towards the end of August, um, but the the September patron special should be coming uh, on time once again, so that was a one-time thing, and we apologize again, but uh, you're still getting your money's worth, so thank you for your indulgence. Yes, thank you very much. All right. This month, as promised, Richard and I both read one of the best novels in history. I think that this will be viewed as a crowning achievement in American uh, letters in the future. Uh, It is uh, a 1991 novel by one Peter David (laughs) called Q-In-Law. I am really glad to be discussing literature. I missed doing this. This is what I did in grad school, and now I'm back. You'll have to tell me that there are layers to the <laughs> see them. Well, I did uh, notice uh, one thematic thing done as a metaphor, so. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> you know, so, uh, you know, Richard and I um, had texted a little bit about this because I read the book in like two nights. I mean, it's, it took me like two hours to read. There's yeah. not much to it. Uh, and I finished it this morning. I uh, had like the last, I don't know, 50 pages or something to read. So I just knocked it out over breakfast. And it was interesting because uh, I had asked Richard if he had ever read it. He, he had been sort of sending me things about like, oh, did you get to this part yet? Did you get to this part yet? And I was like, spoilers, dude, calm down. Um, but I, I really didn't because I didn't care about spoilers. I just but- said, did you get to the Wesley subplot? I didn't say anything about what the Wesley subplot was. But then you said Shiatsu. So, you know, I kind of had some inkling. <laughs> but... I want to start out because I asked Richard, I said, had you ever re- read a, a Peter David novel before? And he said no. And and I think that he has made much better life choices than I have in some areas because I have read a few Peter David novels. And I think that, like, <laughs> this is so goddamn hokey. I loved it. Like just. It, yeah. Like <laughs> Peter David is a very, very hokey writer. I he has a reputation for being humorous in quotes i don't think his humor is good in any way shape or form i don't think that he is a like he's a fine writer like i think knocking out these genre books he's good at it and and q and law is a perfect example of that i think he gets the characters down he gets their voices down we're not talking about great literature but whatever it's fine what you're supposed to do is read this and imagine the episode in your head and i could imagine the episode in my head it's a great way of saving budget on actually making the thing but that that this is just a imaginary episode and it's great as that i i do want like i had never read this before and and i i don't read a lot of these star trek novels i read some of them but i'm not like a huge novel person like this was part of the numbered series of star trek the next generation novels and i don't know how often they they would come out um but i would imagine you know once every couple of months or something and 
you know, this is really like, I think the first one I ever read. I mean, I've read other Star Trek novels, but they were not part of this series. Um, there's actually a series of Star Trek novels that's about like characters and a ship that Peter David specifically created. Um, okay. That has been going on for a while, like 10 or 15 years, uh, called Star Trek something. I don't remember what it's called. Uh, I read them. They're fine. But there's only so much Peter David you can take, yeah. really. Well, like, I love I mean, this running joke, for example, in the early stages of it where a character will be depressed and someone else will say, well, why don't you tell me about it? And they end up, you know, the first person gets cheered up and then the second person is depressed and it keeps passing throughout the ship. And that's totally a TNG comedy bit. Like, I could de- I, I could see it being the kind of lame, terrible joke that the series consistently pale- failed to pull off. I think in a lot of ways, Q and Law captures the experience of what it's like to watch a Q episode in that I think most Q episodes are kind of terrible. Um, I do wonder, though, about... I mean, to get real for a minute, like, I do wonder, though, about a lot of the sort of, like, sexual politics of this novel mm. and 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 sort of, I mean, Peter David is an old straight white guy, so I, I don't necessarily think that he's going to be on the cutting edge vanguard of these sorts of issues, which is fine. And I don't think that any of this is actively harmful, but I do think that that this is coming from a very sort of, like, norm core place. And there yeah. were some of it that I was really rolling my eyes at. Specifically, I think the Wesley subplot, yeah. uh, which, you know, do you want to describe it? Because I don't know that I could do I don't know. This. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> so so the basis of the, uh, the, 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 the hook of the episode is that there's this uh, merchant. They're, they're basically the canary from Mass Effect, uh, except without uh, – bio suits uh the novel calls them gypsies which shows what uh era this was written in and um they there's a marriage between two clans or whatever and it's this boy and this girl and they're hosting the wedding on the enterprise and at one point wesley is talking to the princess and Uh, He mentions that he's, you know, wow, you're getting married. I've never even kissed a girl. And so she's like, oh, I could take care of that. And the next thing you know is he goes to his quarter and there's a naked 16-year-old in his bed. All like, I'm yours, Wesley. And he spends the rest of the novel flustered about it. And as it turns out, like, everything she does is terrible. Like, the shiatsu thing is at one point, like, she offers to give him a massage and she ends up breaking his back or something like that. And it turns out that this is a very clumsy serving girl that the princess had and that she has been trying to get rid of her for years and this is her latest attempt to get her out of her service. And, I, you know, I, I, I feel like there is so much to unpack here that we don't even need to bother. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, what can you really say? <laughs> I think that, that 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 right there is enough. I mean, we're talking basically about like sex trafficking played for comedy. And yeah, and, every, you know, okay, Wesley sure. goes off to people like, what should I do? And they're just like, well, Wesley, you know what you need to do. And we'll let her out. But it's like, I feel like there would be a lot more bigger of a deal going on here. Like, <laughs> I think so. Yes. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Troy isn't trying to him. Troy doesn't go in and try to explain that, you know, 
well, you, what would you like to do? And you get up, you know, like, I feel like she and Dr. Crusher would immediately swoop in and like have, have a long conversation with this girl. Well, and to be clear, I mean, I think that, that they, they did have sex, right? I mean, that was, that was part of it. I didn't think they did. I I thought they just kept, you know, she kept offering and he kept being Wesley about it because, you know. And and it's, he's also Wesley, so even if they did get naked together, I don't think legally they would have been counted what they did as sex. Well, I mean, yes, that's certainly true. And and I don't uh, – uh, so this novel was apparently what it was supposed to be. I'm just – I have the novel in front of me, so I'm just going to open it. Uh, the historian's note that is uh, prefacing the text of the novel says, Q and Law takes place approximately three months before the events in Menage à Trois, or Menage à Troy, sorry, and significantly before Cupid. So Menage à Troy was towards the end of the third season of TNG, and Cupid was, I think, the fourth or fifth season. So uh, this is pretty early um, yeah. in the show's run, and I believe it was published in 1991. So the 25th anniversary of Star Trek, incidentally, uh, and this is how they celebrate. So we are we are talking about a version of the show that is that is you know pretty old, um, and Wesley specifically, of course, like this was one of the last seasons that he was a regular cast member on the show until they jettisoned him off to to be molested by the Traveler all the time, um, and I mean like this is perfect stuff for peter david this is the kind of thing that he writes and he's interested in writing and and i'm sure that there is a uh there i'm sure there's a phd or master's thesis out there somewhere examining peter david's proclivities as a writer maybe there isn't i don't know maybe i should go back to grad school and write it uh (laughs) but what like i don't think this novel is really trying to say anything um i just think it's 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 insane and i think it's worth reading but there's something about it which really confuses me, which is that uh, Major Barrett really wanted this novel to be published. <laughs> well, like I, I feel like Major Barrett may have really wanted a novel or wanted a story with her and Q. Like I think she, I think it's a shame that we don't actually see the two actors together because I think they would be a lot of fun hamming up together. And I guess maybe this is just the closest that they could get. So here, here is the story behind this, and 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 I just did some research online, you know, before we started recording briefly, and and you know, who knows if any of this is actually true, but it's the internet, and everything's true on the internet, right? <laughs> um, that this novel was rejected uh, by Pocket Books, which <laughs> I think you can, I, I think you can understand why it was rejected. Um, it is essentially a sex comedy. It is a Star Trek The Next Generation sex comedy featuring Loex on a Troy and Q. Um, yeah, so like you, I don't know that there was a lot of, of a market for that. Do you remember when we saw that improv Star Trek thing? How could I forget? Yeah, well, like that, that was this is like, like I could picture them doing this novel. It was a very, it was a, you know, they had, they had yeah. actors playing all the different characters and it was very ribald and silly and it was a musical and. You could do this script with that kind in that kind of environment as just a campy, you know, almost affectionate parody done as a sex romp. But this is intended to be a real novel in the thing. Well, I don't know if I would go that far. I'll but have I questions think that... in terms of canonicity, but continue. 
Uh, yeah, that's that's probably easy to dispense with. But um, yeah, so so this the the pitch for this, the outline for this, whatever you do when when you want to write a Star Trek novel, uh, was rejected by Pocket Books. Apparently, the Paramount office at Star Trek, uh, you know, the, the the Star Trek office at Paramount was not interested in this, and I think you can see why, right? Like like a sex romp. Uh, based on Star Trek The Next Generation. I don't know if that was necessarily the best thing for the brand of Star Trek. Okay, fine. Um, Peter David, of course, was a writer of Summer Now, and even at that point, he had written some other things and, uh, you know, of course, went on to a long and illustrious career um, writing other things. I mean, we're talking about 20, 27 years ago now, which is hard to believe, but it is true. Ugh. And uh, he apparently approached Majel Barrett at a convention um, and gave her the manuscript and because i guess even though it was rejected he decided he really needed to get this story out and so wrote it anyway (laughs) and because you know hey uh his muse really went uh, through him and and she was really like yes i love this i want this to be published and she really went to bat uh so so i don't really want to read into that at all i mean major barrett i don't know her she's dead let's not speak about her do you um well do you think that well when was this in terms of roddenberry's death uh, he died in 1991, so um, I don't remember. When did he die? Like, do you I, think I mean, this was her final revenge against uh, all of the cheating by starring in a sex romp where she gets to sex around with Q? I mean, <laughs> like maybe? maybe there was some deep plan there. We don't know. I don't. I don't know. I mean, I just think she wanted a novel about Lo Oxana Troy and. I mean, to be fair, this 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 was not a boring read, right? No. Like, it's a fine book to read if you don't really take it that seriously. Uh, I will also say, as an aside, that uh, the uh, audio book of this, which I really want to hear now, uh, was narrated by by Major Barrett and oh. John Delancey. Oh, so oh, yeah. Well, we should have done that instead of actually reading it. I don't know if it's available anywhere, but. Anyway, so you had questions about the canon. Well, I mean, I know so, this, you know, isn't really canon, but I guess, I, I guess it's a broader question of what are these novels for, right? Like, they're not supposed to be actual. This is not a type of storytelling where everything happens and canon is important and things are building on other things. It's just, it's, this, this is not the Star Wars extended universe. Yeah, exactly. Um, this is not Which a, incidentally has been wiped out of canon by Disney, but hey, whatever. Um, it's um, not a transmedia franchise where, you know, stories that are picked up in the show are resolved in the novels or anything like that. Like, is this just... I mean, like, I read this on vacation in the better part of an afternoon and I had a fun time of it. Like, is that all this is? I guess. Yeah, I think so. I, I think it is, honestly. I, you An know, official there, fan fiction of, of your favorite show. Yeah, kind of. I mean, there's a long history of, of you know, media tie-in novels, of course. And I think that a lot of this kind of stuff got started. So, so really... Um, Going back to to history a little bit, uh, if you go back to the to the nineteen sixties, right, and and Star Trek the original series, if you missed an episode of Star Trek the original series, there was no way to watch it. If you wanted to watch an episode again, there was no way to watch it, right? And I think that that is something that people nowadays, or even in the past twenty or thirty years, I mean, really ever since the advent of of, of home video, uh, kind of forget that like. 
you saw an episode of television and then you just like may never have saw it again. Even if it made a big impact on you, you might be able to catch it in a rerun or something like that. But for the most part, there was no way to see it again um, on your own schedule. And so what was, I think, one of the first or maybe the first Star Trek novel, quote unquote, were actually um, adaptations of okay. some Star Trek, the original series episodes that were published so so fans of the show could sort of like relive the episodes they yeah. liked. And that's kind of how this started. And then, then, of course, like they started making some original uh, uh, adventures for the original yeah. series crew because they weren't making any Star Trek and there was still a demand. Around they didn't know yeah. what to do with, yeah. Yeah, there was still a demand for adventures of that crew, and they weren't, you know, Paramount wasn't making them, so they started releasing some original, original, uh, 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 you know, stories in in the seventies, and I think it just continued. You know, they sell pretty well; they must make money, so. Mm-hmm. I think that's what they're for. It's just another vehicle for fans to get more adventures of something that they like, essentially. Yeah. I mean, it's nice for that. You know, again, it was it was fun to revisit that. Um, I, as a big fan of world building, I was sad there wasn't much, but, you know. I mean, how much world building could you really expect in a novel called Q in Law? Exactly. And, and that's another thing. The Q never becomes a Q in law. It's just a they just date. I wanted the, I thought they was going to get married. There's well, well, we sh- that that is true and I think that the name is misleading, but but again, again, again I mean burying... it, it's 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 a lot more related to the actual plot of the novel than most Q titles are. True, true. Maybe not Cupid. Um but, but what was the one that I you think said I, that I just cracked up for five minutes on? You had a really good one. Uh, was it knock knock cues there? Maybe. <laughs> you can't relive the moment. Just go go back and listen to each episode of Talk no. About it and you'll find it eventually. Um, I think we're burying the lead here, though, which is that Loaxana Troy becomes a cue at the end of the novel, uh, which is uh, fascinating for various reasons. I... I think that that I mean I don't know how much there actually is to talk well, about. Well, you any know, of this. <laughs> I I will say I mean I skimmed the last like thirty forty pages just like you know when she's just attacking him with the Beta Z Batleth or whatever. It's it's ridiculous. I was maybe I was hoping for a little more about this because it it felt like at the end like. All Q wanted to do was just fuck with people, and Lwaxana Troy was, you know, just falling for this entire time. Like, I was ready for her to reveal that, no, I knew you were stringing me along, and I've done this trap. You know, maybe because I've been watching a lot of Janeway, that might be. Yeah, that that could certainly be. I mean, I, I think that, that, I don't know, I... <laughs> there's a, there is a lot of stringing along in this in this book, and... It kind of feels like, like, does this book have a plot? <laughs> I mean, I'm asking that in all seriousness. Um, let's see. So there's these two families uh, that are being married together. Uh, 
Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, Romeo and Juliet, and the same. book. Yeah, well, that that that's what you're going to do when you're writing yourself a, a, a you know a media tie-in novel. You're you're going to try and class it up by by referencing uh, one of the one of the greatest writers of uh, you know in English letters, of course. Um, so so that's something that that Peter David did. He compared himself to to William Shakespeare. Um, <laughs> um, he compared William Shakespeare to himself. Mm. Um. So these these two families, Q does shenanigans and sows doubt between the two young lovers. Meanwhile, he and the Oksana Troy meet because she's in town for the wedding. And, you know, they start dating to the consternation of everybody. And, I mean, this episode really is going into Q as dangerous entity kind of version of it, which is... I don't know, interesting, because they play up the threat of Q in a way that I always kind of forget Q is a threat. I don't know, like... Yeah. They're worried that the the entire... Basically, everybody's worried, well, at some point, Loaxana's going to piss Q off, and Q's going to just turn her into a snake, and that'll be the end of it. And, I mean, for all that Q likes to fuck with people, I don't see him actually doing that. You know, he's never going to kill Picard. He finds it too funny. And especially considering his plan at the end, which is just to kind of humiliate Lwaxana because fuck you. I mean, that that's that's, I think, what gets to it. Like he doesn't it, it seems even petty for Q. It does. I mean, I think that, that you know, I, I don't know how much the justification for why Q is doing this at the end of the novel is, is a little is a little flimsy to me. I mean, he basically yeah. says that he wanted to see if love was as powerful as it actually uh, uh, was said to be. And uh, I mean, sure. OK, why not? Um, I'll buy that. It's, it's as good a reason as any. It's Q. But you're right. Like this is harkening back to a different version of Q. I mean, I think interestingly enough. Uh, Guinan appears in this novel, of course, because why wouldn't she? Yeah. And uh, I, I mean, I'm frankly surprised that Captain Kirk didn't appear in this novel. But uh, I think that that it does harken back a little bit to a previous version of Q, as you say, the kind of like encountered Farpoint mm. uh, Q who version of of Q, the one that was really pushing the the crew of the Enterprise and and, and putting them in danger. Essentially, I think that. You know, if you think back to Q Who, there's a reference made in the novel to the sort of like warding yeah. off that Guinan was trying to do of Q and she's very like worried about Q and all these sorts of things. And, you know, yes, I think all that is true. And I think that, that Q definitely worked better when uh, they decided that he wasn't that dangerous. And and I don't know, because the, 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 the book seems to try to be straddling the, the two yeah. versions of Q there. Because there was a point when, you know, Picard is talking to Loxon and saying like, you know, he did he did this to us. Oh, well, did you die? Well, no, we got out of it. And how'd you get out of it? Well, Q saved us. Oh, Q saved you. Okay, well, and you're saying he's a bad guy. Like, you know, there, there is that where they are pointing out that ultimately while Q harasses the crew and they don't like him and he really needles Picard, I mean, Lawaxana's point that, that he's ultimately harmless and, you know, he's just going to show you a ridiculous time is... No, I mean that's why fans love him, right? Because that's what he does. I guess. I mean, I frankly don't know why fans love Q because I don't like Q oh, very well. much. But well, you I, like I the Q so, of but... like tapestry and all good things, which again is a very different version of Q. 
Yeah, or do I just like those episodes? I don't know. Mm. Um, but I think I think yeah, to some degree, you're right. I mean, it does I mean? Does this novel live up to Q? Right? Like, I don't know. I don't like Q very much, so I think that it's fine that that he's like this in the novel, and I think that I can buy his actions in the novel well enough. Yeah. I mean, a lot of what is happening. I think the one fault I have of the novel in general is that it doesn't spend enough time on Q and enough time on Loaxana Troy. Like, I don't know. How, maybe there just wasn't that much to do with them, frankly. But it seems like there's a lot of peripheral information about two alien species that were created for this novel that I have no interest in whatsoever. And I know. Like, this is one of the things where the episode version would be better because just put the two actors in the room and just say, okay, fight. You know? <laughs> right, right. Because it's like there, there is a nice justification made for some of this. And I think that um, it, it, one of the things that I enjoy about uh, Star Trek novels in general is how they play around with um, just doing things that the television series would have an extraordinarily hard time doing. Like, for example, having a wedding reception filled with hundreds of people yeah. in the Genesis planet uh, cave. Uh, <laughs> Like, because why not? But because it's a novel, you can do that. You just need to write that and it's in your head. Yeah. But I, I just I like why have all this stuff surrounding it, though? Like, I don't the, the opening starts with the guy like doing his weird thing where he has to fight the people and goes to the father and he's like, I want to marry your thing, you know, and it's like, all right, fine. I don't care about any of this. And the end, you know, the end of the novel is another like space battle. And frankly speaking, like, I don't really care about reading space battles because they're not very interesting to read. So there's a lot of, like, fluff in this novel, which is extraordinary because it's only 252 pages long. Um, And it's not exactly written on, like, a, you know, I I don't know what grade level this would be, but it's, I I don't. I mean, if you were in middle school, you could read this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is not necessarily the most the most complex uh, book in the world. So I don't, I don't know. It's I the mean, kind of book you randomly pick up when you're 13 because you're 13, and then suddenly there's all these sex jokes, and it's a little uncomfortable. Is that who this is for? Yeah, this is a book designed to help 13 year olds learn to masturbate. I mean, not me, but yeah, uh, <laughs> maybe, I don't know. I, well, I, <laughs> I feel like this is a very, uh, uh, this conversation is very strange, but. Oh anyway. yeah, yeah. No, no, um, I, 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 I'm running with it because there's no other way we can talk about this book. No, there's We're not. I mean, this is, I mean, if, you ne- if you have never read Q and law, you definitely should. Cause it is a uh, flabbergasting, but, um, <laughs> I don't know. Like, Part of what I find so aggravating about this book, though, is, and I think this is just me being um, aggravated about straight people again, but, <laughs> and this is something that, again, you wouldn't necessarily know because you have never read any other Peter David novels, and I don't necessarily think you should, but I wonder if this is just part of that, but I don't like a lot of this stuff. Like, the, the 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 Picard stuff with the beautiful ladies and the Riker thing and Deanna and and just everybody is so fucking heterosexual in this novel and I don't know there's just like to get serious for a minute this is the kind of thing that you read and you're like oh yes right I am a tiny minority and I am surrounded yeah. by a culture that I fundamentally do not understand 
and it feels very there there's a weird way in which reading this novel as a queer person feels oppressive <laughs> well i have to say reading this novel as a queer person the loud the, one of the loudest characters turned out to be wharf for me who is confused by this whole thing pissed off annoyed about it he thinks it's stupid why the hell are we having this gigantic wedding? Do you realize how much of a security risk for a fucking wedding? And oh my god, now Q's here? Why? This is, why did we do any of this? We should have just gone on our way and done our job like professional. And like, and I am totally with him. Like, you're right, Warp. All of this really is stupid. Yeah, yeah. I actually I hadn't picked up on that, but you're totally right. Like Worf is the voice of reason <laughs> in this novel. Like he's not in the novel that much, I guess, because he is the yeah. stick in the mud, right? I mean, everybody else is really going along with this. Riker, Di- uh, Deanna Troy, uh, uh, Wesley, Data is kind of to a degree. Um, Picard certainly is. Beverly. I mean, you know, there's like uh, 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 you know Jordy, for example. Um, it is weird that Worf is the character that you relate to the most in the novel because <laughs> I don't normally I think yeah. maybe you're supposed to relate to the other. Ca- I don't know. No, I don't no. I mean, you're it's supposed. Worf is supposed to be the joke of ha ha ha. This wonderful thing, a wedding is going. What a lovely, beautiful celebration of love between two people and. You know, look at haha, silly wharf who can't see any of that and is just thinking about the security risks. But, I mean, there are massive security risks. He has to, he and his staff have there to are. work overtime because of this. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, I think that, well, to, to, I mean, to, to Picard's credit, though, right? I mean, Picard also, I think, to some degree, doesn't yeah. really want to handle this and doesn't really want to do this. I mean, he has been, uh, He's com- he has been ordered by Starfleet to, to do this because this is important to them for whatever reason. Well, you get I the mean, sense that a- Picard is very comfortable. Picard thinks it's wonderful if for a night or two, you know, a couple of if, – if, if, Picard is totally fine for, OK, this weekend a bunch of delegates are going to come to the Enterprise. We're going to have a wedding. It's going to be beautiful. There will be a celebration. Everything will relax a little bit and then on Monday everybody leaves and we're back to normal and – as it turns out, no, they want – they need a full week of celebration, all of these people. Like it's it's a lot bigger than he was maybe initially signing up for. Sure, sure. Yeah, and of course this novel is in effect a farce. I mean it, it, it keeps yeah. escalating itself. You know, oh, well – Picard has to have this wedding. Okay. Oh, Loxana Troy is here. Okay. Oh, Q is here. Okay. You know, it's just like it keeps yeah. going and going and going and and it doesn't I mean, the one the one thing I will say about the novel is that it doesn't really have much of a payoff. Like it it doesn't yeah. But but then again, like most Q episodes don't really have much of a payoff, so I think in some respects that's almost a slight commentary on Q episodes. Uh, but it doesn't like it just goes and goes and goes and then it doesn't really go anywhere. And that's part of the weirdness of it where it's like Loaxana this is a novel that ends with Loaxana Troy becoming a Q briefly and just kind of like going after Q and you're like, What am I reading right now? I don't I fundamentally don't understand what's happening. And then like Q two appears, right? And you're like, What 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 is it's, it's, it's all just so bizarre. It's just so bizarre. It's like you keep reading this and you're just kind of like, Okay, all right. 
all right, yeah, cool. I'm checked out, but whatever. It's nice. You know, it's just, it's so weird. I mean, it's great after, again, a college career spent reading some of the finest avant-garde novels to, like, read genre trash like this, and it's just kind of amazing. Again, it's a B movie. It's a Z movie. Well, and it has, uh, 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 there are some really nice running gags in it. For example, I think that, that Peter David does a great job of uh, highlighting the absurdity of the Betazoid gong thing. Yeah. Um, where like, you know, Deanna Troy is in her mother's quarters and she's like eating like grapes or something. And every time she eats a grape, uh, the, the gong <laughs> is hit. And you're, <laughs> you're just stuff like that is just kind of like, all right. Yeah. Like, I love... I like her adherence to tradition when it suits her. Like, again, the, we, we first see the gong in Haven when it's very clear that she's using the gong to make a point, right? Like, there's this other couple who's saying, well, Beta Z tradition says we should get this arranged marriage. And Lawaxana is essentially saying, oh, you like Beta Z tradition, do you? Okay, Let, here's a fun Beta Z tradition. We're going to ring a gong every time I take a bite. Don't you love Beta Z tradition? And, I mean, this, this I see her in continuity with this uh, mourning her daughter thing <laughs> that she's doing, which is, uh, again, for what, because it's a wedding, she's taken this moment to you know, fuck with her daughter a bit and just make it very clear about how unmarried her daughter is. And and I I guess the gong is done in part of this. Again, she can do tradition when it suits her as a way of goading people that she wants to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because I guess, like, that is a good example of how Peter David, I think, does have a good grasp on the show and does have a good grasp on the characters. And, you know, you said at the very beginning of this this episode that, that this is kind of like you read this and you imagine what the episode would be. And I guess the question I have for you is, like, reading this is fun and everything, but what I, and I don't is, even know if it would necessarily work as an actual episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. It probably wouldn't. But but are you missing anything from not having Patrick Stewart there? Or can you imagine it enough that it works for you? I mean, I have a great imagination, so yeah. But at the same time, I really would have liked to see uh, John Delancia and Major Barrett having a love scene and and having Diet and having Marina Sirtis get grossed out by the sea. Like, I think that would have been really funny to watch, as opposed yeah, to just imagine. Yeah. Um, Maybe this is going to be the uh, Captain Picard miniseries. Oh my God! Yes. <laughs> well, now I'm thinking about the scene, the uh, his scene in extras where you know he's, oh, I, I snap my fingers and then all her clothes come off. So maybe that's going to be the Picard scene series. Um, that would be kind of amazing. I do like that there is actually an attempt. Peter David attempts to find his version of the theme of the Star Trek franchise in the introduction to this book. And I actually really like his formulation of it, um, which, okay. is, which is that he says that Star Trek is a vision of the future where we've solved all the problems that come from within. In other words, we figured out poverty, we figured out racism and war and all of that. And now our problems come from without, but there is a group of people who are in charge, who are very good at what they do and are very are paragons of morality who are able to rise to those challenges and fix them. And I think it's a neat encapsulation of 
what kind of the original series and the next generation seem to believe. Okay. Yeah, I would go with that. I mean, I think that 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 is certainly true. I mean, I think that yeah, what it comes down to is like there are really no stakes in this in this novel whatsoever. Yeah. Even though uh, a lot of bad things happen, people die. Uh, La Boxana Troy is is briefly a Q and and, and tries to murder uh, a Q, for example. But but none of this is really played for 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 uh, you know as a serious thing. This is all just a big joke, and I think that's yeah, that's fine. I mean, it works fine. Well. I mean, I don't know how much there is else to say about Q and Law, so we should probably move to starting to, to wrap this patron special up. Um, I hope it was worth the wait. But um, we read one other Star Trek novel. You read Federation, which I think you really liked, and which yeah. which was a much better. I think it was a much better book, right? Like it was like a it was like a legit book. Well, and um, it had it had a climax to it. The bit when both Kirk and Picard have to decide what the other ship is going to do, and then they decide well. Federation values are going to be the same, so we both need to sacrifice to get ahead. And uh, that, I thought, was an extremely strong theme at the end, and that was a very good moment. It was both of the characters using the lesson of the novel to solve their problem. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I guess what I want to ask you is, you know, this is the second Star Trek novel you've read, and you've had... Uh, a very different experiences with these two novels, I think. <laughs> w- would you read more? I mean, I guess like I there's so many Star Trek novels and there's a couple of different ways you can read them because they're these kind of novels that are basically trash. And then you have the, the very serious like relaunch novels that, that took place, um, you know, once Enterprise was on the air and, and, and the, the, the pocket uh, books sort of like took the reins and, and decided to, to create like, you know, season eight of DS9 and season eight of Voyager and, yeah, and uh, I would season be... eight of TNG, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I, I don't know. Well, I would be very curious to read the DS9 sequel series, um, largely because, you know, I have my own ideas for my post DS9 story. And it would be interesting to see, you know, how they really go from that or where the series could go or, you know, I, I, I don't know. But at the same time, would I make a I would read another, but I'm not sure if I'd spend money for another. Maybe I wouldn't, you know, make up. I wouldn't go out of my way to read one. Well, you got to get yourself a library card, my friend. Well, I, I got Q and Law from my local <laughs> library and paid nothing for it. So. I would say if we uh, still lived in the same city and you still had your big shelf of Star Trek books, I would read some of them like that. But although actually, it probably yeah. is easier to buy them than uh, risk the ire of borrowing a book of yours. <laughs> I was about to say. <laughs> well, I, I think that's fair. I mean, we'll we'll have to revisit that. We have had conversations about perhaps uh, doing, um, you know, the first DS9 relaunch novel as a patron special. Uh, so, so maybe we'll do that in the future as well. Um, but I also think that that it kind of uh, ties in nicely to to what we're doing next month. So, um, next month for a patron special, uh, we are going to talk about uh, the revelation that uh, you know Jean Luc Picard is coming back, and uh, Patrick Stewart is going to be reprising the role of uh, Jean Luc Picard. We want to talk a little bit about um, you know where we see Star Trek going in terms of of, of television and what's happening with it, how we feel about it, because I think that we're reaching a very interesting point with, uh, with, with Trek about where, you know, we are rapidly getting to the end of the Star Trek that I had in mind when I, you wanted to do this show, you know, way back in 2012. Yeah, we didn't even know. Um, I did would... not know Star Trek discovery was going to exist. I did not know that, 
uh, uh, Patrick Stewart was going to come back as Jean-Luc Picard. And so we want to have a conversation about like how we feel about that and, and, and what we sort of think that's going to mean for, for Trek about. Okay. Um, and also maybe we'll do the relaunch novels. Who knows? We have absolutely no idea. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening. Once again, we apologize for the patron special being so late, but uh, we did get it out to you and we hope it was worth the wait. We both really enjoyed reading Q and Law, as I think you know from listening to this. Uh, And that was very unexpected, wasn't it? (laughs) A little bit. Yeah. I mean, I knew it was going to be readable, but I didn't know I was going to enjoy reading it as much as I did. all right, we'll be back uh, probably, I think, in two weeks uh, with the September patron special. And uh, we should let you know that we do have the rest of the patron specials for the rest of the year planned out. Uh, so no worries on that. And continue to listen to Truck About. Thank you very much. We love you. <laughs>